welcome to the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I am Leah Heigl and I'm here with my co-host Aidan Muir and today we're talking all things metabolic adaptation, otherwise known as adaptive thermogenesis. So metabolic adaptation or adaptive thermogenesis, depending on which you prefer to call it, like in the research it's typically called adaptive thermogenesis. I prefer to call it metabolic adaptation because it seems easier to understand that way and It's basically the phenomenon where when dieting or adaptive thermogenesis is defined as when dieting, when your calorie expenditure drops by more than a formula would predict. Um, Sometimes people specifically refer to it as when your metabolism drops by more than a formula would predict. I like the terminology metabolic adaptation because it makes it easy to understand that it goes in both directions. It isn't just something that happens while dieting, it actually happens in reverse, which leads us into a bit of a topic of like, what's the difference between metabolic adaptation and starvation mode? Um, To be like, to jump straight to the chase, like I, I don't think starvation mode is a thing. It's a thing that's based on a grain of truth, but it isn't a thing by itself. Um, What I mean by that is starvation mode is the concept of where you go so low calorie that your body starts to hold on to fat and try and prevent any form of fat loss and everything like that. The grain of truth is that metabolic adaptation does occur. Like your calorie expenditure tries to, to decrease. Your body's trying to conserve calories. It starts to downregulate a few processes that reduces calorie expenditure and that makes it harder to lose weight. So that's the difference between like, I suppose they call it starvation mode and metabolic adaptation. There was a concept that was, popularized five to 10 years ago. Lane Norton was one of the biggest popularizers of it. He he has changed his stance, but he he talked about a concept called metabolic damage, which is a phenomenon where even years after chronic dieting, TDEE, so total daily energy expenditure, is still way lower than you'd expect. Um, Did you ever see the Biggest Loser study? I have have briefly seen it, but I have to say that I've learned a lot more about it since talking with you. Yeah. So the biggest loser study is like the biggest example of this. It shaped my thought process about five years ago, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, I thought a lot of, I thought it related to dieters a lot more than I do now. And to really go through the biggest loser study is about 10 participants. I think it was based on the first, first ever series of the biggest loser in the USA. And they measured their metabolic rate at the start and they measured it five years later. And on average, as, as most people would predict and already kind of be aware of, on average, they had regained weight to roughly their starting point, even though they had this dramatic weight loss at the start. That's on average. Some people actually did maintain most, if not all, of their weight loss. That therefore also means some people went significantly further than their original weight. But on average, their basal metabolic rate was 500 calories slower than you would have predicted with a formula, even though it was 100% in line with what you would have predicted with a formula at the start which is insane. The, the empathetic approach I often take when thinking about that is a 500 calorie deficit is about half kilo per week weight loss. So it's kind of like if your metabolism was 500 calories slower, it's like you're perpetually dieting at that kind of rate just to maintain your weight. Obviously, they still had really high BMIs. I believe it was over 2,000 calories per day still because they were quite large. But it, it is an interesting concept that's like, hey, that looks like there's lasting damage five years later because they did this extreme diet at one stage. Is that relevant for the average person though? And that's the big question because that is honestly the only study I'm aware of where there was lasting 
metabolic damage, so to speak. And that's where why metabolic damage gained popularity because everybody was talking about this study. It was a really popular one because like everyone could identify it with the show as well. Like it was, it was like in pop culture as well. It wasn't just this random research study. But that creates other issues where it's like it had 10 people. Who like I'm not going to question this, but like who's to say they didn't inaccurately measure anything as well? Like who's to say that like if one study shows something and every other study on the topic shows the opposite, who's to say they didn't inaccurately measure it? I'm not going to assume that they did, but that is a thought that pops in my mind. But then the other thing is they go through something extreme that nobody else goes through. Nobody else loses weight the way they did during the biggest loser. Like some people do, but like they did extreme amounts of exercise and very, very, very low calories. They lost weight like crazy very quickly. They were trying to do it as quickly as possible. The only situation that I can really see that is kind of relevant to that is bariatric surgery. But even those people are not doing the extreme levels of exercise. So even if their example was something that happens under those circumstances, it's not relevant for the average person. So that's why I like the terminology metabolic adaptation more than metabolic damage or starvation mode because metabolic adaptation reverses when you go on to higher calories. So to really understand metabolic adaptation, I think it's really good to understand the components of your total daily energy expenditure and how, you know, what physiological processes actually occur um, with metabolic adaptation and how our calorie intake can affect that and, and what aspects of that it does affect. So breaking our total daily energy expenditure down into um, the four kind of subcomponents of it. Um, so you've got your largest user of, of energy, which is basal metabolic rate, which is basically the calories you burn at rest. So that's mainly influenced by your body weight, your body composition. And when we're talking about metabolic adaptation, we're mainly talking about the effect that your calorie intake has on your basal metabolic rate or your BMR, um, just in regards to energy availability in your total system. Um, but there are, are a few other subcategories that are at play when we're talking about total daily energy expenditure. So we do have NEAT, otherwise known as non-exercise academic activity thermogenesis. I always find these such a tongue tire, hence why I always call it like NEAT instead. Um, but that's what it stands for. Um, and that's your daily physical activity, like the demands of daily life. Um, so not including structured exercise, but just kind of your daily steps, what you do for work, cleaning the house, all fidgeting, all the energy that goes into those normal daily things. Um, but then you also have EAT or EAT exercise activity thermogenesis um, and that's your structured or your plan ex planned exercise and the energy that you burn doing those things um, and that's affected by how often you're exercising the intensity duration and modality of the exercise um, and then lastly we have the thermic effect of food um, so that's basically the amount of calories that we burn by digesting and eating food um, and obviously that is affected by how much we eat so if we're eating a lot of calories, protein, fiber, we're going to be burning more energy from the, the thermic effect of food as opposed to if we're in a very low amount of calories. Um, so that, that can come into play. But my understanding is when we're talking about metabolic adaptation, that it's really its effect on metabolism or basal metabolic rate and not these other three things. Yeah, exactly. And that's where like I do lump them in a little bit together and I think it's important to have understanding of all of them and how all of it's affected. So, but like it is like if you were looking at definitions, it is just metabolic rate. That is what we're measuring. So I'm going to go through some things individually. Like I'm going to start off with how does our diet impact our total daily energy expenditure? Because I think this is really important to understand. 
one of the best examples you touched on it with thermic effect of food it's so easy to understand why calories in versus calories out is a moving target as in your calorie expenditure changes based on what you eat the easiest way to understand that as one starting point is a thermic effect of food if you were previously eating 3000 calories and you dropped down to 2000 calories your thermic effect of food will reduce because you are eating less food. You're going to burn less calories through the process of eating, digesting, and absorbing food because there is less food for that to happen. So that's one standpoint. That's food for thought because it's like your maintenance calories literally changes based on how much you're eating or how far you are from maintenance calories. So it is very interesting when it's like, hey, we predict a 500-calorie surplus, but the moment you add calories, your energy expenditure increases as well. Like it changes these things. That's one standpoint. The next one is basal metabolic rate. When you go into a calorie deficit and say you're in one for a long period of time or you're on particularly low calories, your body, call it survival mode, call it whatever, I don't really care, call it battery saver mode. Like your body starts to down-regulate certain processes to conserve energy because think of it as like a physiological adaptation. I hate using these examples, but it's kind of like your body doesn't know when it's going to have more access to food and stuff like that. One great example of this is heart rate slows down. If you're in a calorie deficit for a long period of time or you get particularly lean, that burns less calories. It's not a lot less calories, but it burns less calories. Um, and that doesn't fall into any other category. That falls into basal metabolic rate. Next one. This is a classic example, but females losing their period, ovulation basically stopping. Fertility is no longer a priority if the body doesn't have enough calories to look after itself, so it's not going to spend calories on fertility. That's just one of many examples of how basal metabolic rate can drop over time in a calorie deficit. And obviously, as you go into higher calories, these things reverse because there's now an abundance of calories. The next one that I've always found so fascinating, but neat, so as you said, it's incidental activity. The classic example that people give with this is that people fidget less when they're on lower calories. They fidget more when they're on higher calories. And this is a very individual thing. Some people fidget way more when they get higher calories. And it's pretty individual there. And the other thing, even just thinking it through, but like classic examples where it's like when you're on low calories and you've been dieting for ages, you might be more tempted to just lay on the couch rather than get up and mow the lawn or something like do these like household activities. All these little things change. And a funny one to look for if you follow a lot of people on Instagram, bodybuilders who prep for shows, if they do a lot of videos, just watch them. They, they're less active in their videos. They move less, they talk slower, they blink slower. It's crazy. It's an actual phenomenon, phenomenon and it actually significantly affects our calorie expenditure because it's all movement. And then the last one is exercise activity thermogenesis. I suppose the other thing I should touch on with BMR before just talking about calories is like if you lose weight, like if you actually are losing weight because you're in a deficit, your basal metabolic rate drops anyway. That is what the formula is measuring and stuff like that. Um, fat has, it burns like roughly four calories per kilo. Muscle burns roughly 12 calories per kilo. If you're losing muscle and or fat, this is going to decrease regardless. Same thing for exercise activity thermogenesis. If you do a certain exercise at 100 kilos body weight and then you do the exact same exercise at 90 kilos body weight, you're probably burning less calories in the second scenario unless you're doing more work, which obviously you can do if you get fitter and all those kind of things. But our diet does affect our energy expenditure. So even though a lot of those factors are outside of metabolic adaptation, they're worthwhile understanding for the sake of this discussion. Yeah, I think 
like metabolic adaptation, it definitely has a lot of practical or clinical relevance. Um, from one standpoint, I think it is definitely a good idea to acknowledge that it exists and it occurs. Um, so if we are in a calorie surplus, obviously there is that increase in energy expenditure and vice versa if you're in a calorie deficit. So having that understanding can be super useful. I just think some people can take that a bit too far in its significance. So it's likely not the reason why a calorie deficit is no longer working. There's so many things like you've touched on that are at play when you're in a calorie deficit and and certain things that happened, even just changes yeah, in your activity levels. There's so many reasons um, why that's no longer a calorie deficit or you're no longer losing weight. And I guess when we're talking about this, always think about the the flip side. So same with the calorie surplus. It's not the usually the whole reason why a calorie surplus is no longer a calorie surplus, but I like to think of it more in the, the deficit side of things because that's when it comes up the most. Um, so if you're in a 500 calorie deficit for 12 weeks, so not super long period of time, you were losing weight and then you stopped losing weight, metabolic adaptation would not be the reason why that completely stopped. It wouldn't account for the full, whole 500 calories. Um, but we're also not completely sure exactly how much it does account for or how much it does occur. And it's probably different for different people, different circumstances. Um, one interesting study that I will mention, um, it came out in 2020 and it's titled Metabolic Adaptation is Not a Barrier to Weight Loss. Um, and that study concluded that at the two-year follow-up post, um, the two-year follow-up mark post weight loss, that metabolic adaptation was not present. So, uh, with this study, I mean, two years is a long time. So if we're thinking, you know, these people have gone through a weight loss phase and then they've been at maintenance or above calories for two years, we would expect metabo- metabolic adaptation to no longer be yeah. relevant there. Um, so I think it's a bold claim I think the title's a bold claim for the study that it actually is. Yeah, and I've thought about the title a lot. So, like, a lot of people have sent this to me because, like, if you Google metabolic adaptation, I think my article comes up first or second. And a lot of people have, like, seen this study and then been like, oh, metabolic adaptation doesn't matter. And they've sent it to me because, like, you write about metabolic adaptation. You think it, it, it prevents weight loss. And, like, no, I don't. Like, it actually, like, it lines up with everything we think about metabolic adaptation. Like, what did you just say before about, like, you said metabolic adaptation is not going to stop you from losing weight. If you're in a, if you're in a 500 calorie deficit, maybe it's going to erase some of that deficit. But all the other factors are going to play a role in terms of energy expenditure decreasing for other reasons. Yeah. And the fact that maybe you get hungrier, maybe you change habits, maybe there's a lot of other explanations that are far more likely. Um, But then exactly what I said, like your energy expenditure, it will go the other direction when you're eating more calories. Two years is a long time. Like we expect that to happen. The other thing in the study that is the real point that a lot of people point out is that they're like, oh, it's not a major barrier to weight loss because they, in the abstract, they mentioned that they measured metabolic adaptation directly post-diet. When you read the study, they measured metabolic adaptation four weeks post-diet. They'd been at maintenance calories for four weeks. And we know from some research, um, Jackson Pios, for example, did a diet break study where he, they did diet breaks for one week every over a four-week period. They'd do one week diet break, three more weeks dieting, so on and so forth for 15 weeks. That wasn't enough to offset metabolic adaptation. There was no observed change there. The Matador study, which did two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off, looked like it offset metabolic adaptation, but we can't really tell because it was a free living study and they were just eating 
in the real world. Like it's hard to tell in that kind of scenario. Maybe they're just stricter on their diet, really. Like it's hard to say. But I'd be very confident one month, four weeks at maintenance calories is going to reverse a fair chunk of metabolic adaptation. The difference that they measured was a 50 calorie difference in energy expenditure or actually in basal metabolic rate. So it was a 50, 50 calorie reduction in basal metabolic rate. As I said, there's other factors like NEAT is reduced and stuff like that. Like that's beyond, that could, that could add on to the 50 calories as well. It could be even higher than that. You talked about individual variation. There were some people who there was no difference in metabolic adaptation at that stage. There were some people who had over 100 calories different, but that's after four weeks. I would make the assumption that there's more than a 200 calorie difference at some stage. Like if they measured it after a short washout period of like a couple of days at maintenance calories post diet, I'd assume that there was a larger difference there. It's safe to say that. But like, let's call it 200 calories. That still comes back to the same question that we we're just talking about being like, it's not going to offset a 500 calorie deficit. Like no. that, that's not the reason why people stop losing weight. Um, it's just to be aware of that four weeks probably offsets quite a bit of this. And that study could look a little bit misleading because they measured it four weeks later, not directly post-diet. It would have been really interesting if they did measure that during the diet and directly post-diet. So I, I completely agree that it's a little bit misleading, particularly with their title, because we just wouldn't expect there to be a huge difference in metabolism, you know, after four weeks at maintenance, let alone two years. Um, we definitely expect things to kind of return to normal by that time. Um, I think practically, like if we are seeing this metabolic adaptation, which I'd like you said, like I would, you would see um, some after, you know, 12 or so weeks of dieting. And it probably is not the most significant factor in cutting a calorie deficit, um, but it's probably a factor. So I think the idea of, of diet breaks, when we're thinking about clinical relevance, um, you know, I, I love utilizing diet breaks with my clients. Diet breaks uh, have been shown to to reverse some of that metabolic adaptation. I personally use two, like, like a diet break of two weeks. Yeah. How long do you tend to do for four. I do two to four weeks but two it really like two is more common yeah. four is more if it's like hey let's take a legitimate just gap for maintenance yeah. calories if we want to do something longer um but two is my standard like I like eight weeks on two weeks off but sometimes I'll let people run for like 12 weeks and then put it in then yeah and outside of metabolic ad like adaptation there's also other benefits of diet breaks which we have talked about so psychologically it's good to have a break from dieting um so you know if, if you're taking a two-week break every eight to 12 weeks doing that that weight loss in chunks psychologically i think that's a lot easier and then there's the impact on on hunger yeah and like even with the um the metabolic adaptation i'm always scared now saying oh that diet breaks are offsetting it because like jackson pios he has concluded very strongly he's like diet breaks don't offset metabolic adaptation like he's just saying it in that terminology and like He's smarter than me. Like I said, he said his ATAR once. So like he had like a 99 ATAR. And I'm like, Jesus. Like, oh okay, like, and like, there's been times like, um, I have thought stuff and then he said the opposite of what I sure. thought. And then he turned out to be right. And I'm like, God damn. Okay. But like my thought process with metabolic adaptation is it's like, I'm sure we can all agree that if metabolic adaptation is a real phenomenon, which has been measured, like we can agree that it exists. We also know that going to higher calories offsets it. This is also why reverse dieting works and stuff like that. Like it just slowly reverses metabolic adaptation. We know that at some time point, higher calories offsets it. The question is how long does it take? This study that showed that four weeks later, like metabolic adaptation is pretty much non-existent. And obviously one year later, it did not exist. And two years later, it did not exist. We know there is a time frame. Jackson's study showed that one week later, it didn't make any difference. Yeah. Maybe, like maybe it takes longer. 
maybe it takes two weeks. We just don't have the evidence to show the two weeks because as I said, all these other studies aren't really that tightly controlled. They're not in athletes. There's like a whole bunch of things to factor in. I think two weeks would reverse some of it. That's my practical interpretation. Enough of it, likely. I think yeah. so. I think so. But I, I'm always cautious saying that because we do have that study that shows that it didn't when it was only one week. After a week. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure it depends on the size of the calorie deficit and the person and, and so many other factors. But if you're putting people on diet breaks for a month at a time quite consistently, that's going to be pretty slow progress. And considering like we're, just, we're saying that metabolic adaptation is likely not the main factor while someone is struggling to lose weight, then, you know, maybe that's not our main focus. Maybe they're, they're struggling to lose weight because they're having extra snacks because they're really hungry. And yeah. we know the diet break at least offsets the hunger. Yeah. And like, let's actually talk through that a little bit more. Like um, Jackson's study, that was the thing that he found. Like, there, there was this chart that I show almost all my clients now. Like there's a chart from this study that basically showed that if you diet and you stay, you actually stick in the calorie deficit, so you actually are losing weight almost every week, um, for 12 weeks, hunger and desire to eat dramatically increases. I think everyone needs to know that. Like, I, like obviously there's individual variation, but think that through because like I have a lot of clients who like four weeks in are saying stuff to me like, oh, I don't get hungry anymore and like I don't crave sugar anymore and like little, they're saying things like that as if that's what they expect to be happening as in it's almost like they're, they're telling themselves that. But we have the data showing that in 12 weeks, the opposite's happening. Like people probably are dramatically upregulating their cravings and stuff like that for food and everything like that. Doesn't mean everybody will, but it seems to be that's the average. And his study showed that the group that did 15 weeks of dieting, but they had those three diet breaks spread throughout, so they did the same total time in the calorie deficit, their hunger and desire to eat barely increased over the entire study, over that entire 15 weeks. And it's like, theoretically, that could make dieting dramatically easier for a lot of people. Yeah, so even if let's say metabolic adaptation really doesn't really, it doesn't move the needle in terms of a calorie deficit. We at least know diet breaks are useful for other things and, you know, potentially having two week diet breaks periodically, maybe it does also help with metabolic, metabolic adaptation. Um, So I do them. Yeah, hundred percent. And I suppose the last thing, like it just popped into my mind, but it's kind of like Metabolic adaptation, what if you came from a calorie surplus? What if you came from a large calorie mm-hmm. surplus that like, say like I have some of my powerlifters who are like eight month long, slow bulks, but like they, they're in a calorie surplus for like eight months. Maybe, maybe they do a mini cut, maybe they don't. That's eight months in a calorie surplus, very far adapted the other direction. And then at the end of their cutting phase, the difference in metabolic adaptation is probably larger than any of these studies make out as well. Yeah, and I think when we're talking about metabolic adaptation from the perspective of a calorie surplus, like usually your calorie surplus is a lot smaller than the calorie deficit you'd you'd use to lose weight. So I suppose if we're thinking, you know, the metabolism is upregulated when you're in a calorie surplus, I don't know. I always think about maybe it does have a bigger effect there than in a calorie deficit yeah. even, at least for some people. Yeah, and I'm also thinking durations as well because you're, yeah. you're often in it for such a long time too. Yeah, Totally. This has been episode 13 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening so far, but we do always appreciate feedback. So let us know what you've been thinking. Um, Other than that, we hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'll be back next week.